Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I, this is going to be a little different this morning. I'm, we, we just got uh, celebrated Easter, or as I like to call it, Resurrection Sunday. And we are past Passover, and can anyone tell me what the next celebration is going to be? Pentecost, 50 days past Passover. I was sort of trying to look at the date, and I, I looked online and somebody said June, but I don't know if that's proper. I believe it's probably the middle of May. 50 days since Passover from Good Friday, well, before Good Friday. Remember now, Good Friday was not Passover. Wednesday would have typically been Passover. So on the, with that thought in mind, I wanted to stay uh, with, with this season, with this time of year. And I, I want to look a little bit at Calvary, look a little bit at Pentecost, and then I'm going to do something a little different that I don't usually do. And I like to always keep you guys guessing because when you think you've got me figured it out, figured out, I'd like to just throw you a wrench. But I had, uh, was going through some material that I had and I came across something that I had written several years ago. I don't know how many years it has been now. It's hard to keep track. And it's, it's funny that I stumbled across that because it was very appropriate for this period of time. So I'm going to share that with you later on in my message. But when I look back at Jesus, we all know that he went through a, a terrible ordeal. And, you know, when we, we look at the word baptism in relationship to the different things that we fulfill in our walk towards heaven, we have the baptism of repentance. We have water baptism. But there's another baptism besides that. And then we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I'd like you to look at Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 50. There's another baptism that sometimes we don't see, but was so critical in the glorification of Jesus. He says, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. What he was saying is, there's a baptism that I, I yet need to experience. Now, I've been baptized by John in the Jordan. That's happened. But now there's a baptism that must take place before my glory is revealed. And I'm distressed at this particular baptism. And I, but I do know it needs to be accomplished, and that was the baptism of suffering. It was the baptism of denial. Remember he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup be passed from me. Let it pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. There's a, a, it's a baptism that nobody really likes to talk about. There, there's a couple baptisms that we do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's full of joy and glory and power. And the baptism in water, that's, that's nice because it's a recognition of our, our death with Christ. 
But the two that no one really wants to get involved in too much is the baptism of suffering and, and the baptism of repentance or of denial and death. And, but the Bible tells me unless a seed die, fall into the ground and die, it will not bring forth fruit. And when I, I look at the church, the church is, it was God's seed to the earth. He sowed it upon the earth to re reproduce and create a body that would be like unto his body. We're the body of Christ, the visual representation of Jesus upon the face of the earth, walking like he did and talking like he did, doing the works that he did. But if we ever want to have the ministry of Christ, we must share in the baptisms of Christ. I could take you to John the third chapter, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in John the eighth chapter, and John the twelfth chapter, we would find in these scriptures that Jesus regarded his death as an exaltation. He kept mentioning that he was going to be glorified. And then I think about how he was speaking in John the seventh chapter, and he says in verse 37, John 7, 37, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from him will come streams of living water. He said this about the Spirit, that those who believed in Jesus were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does that mean? Now, we, 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 when we teach Bible studies, we, can, we, we usually say, well, the Holy Spirit couldn't have been poured out upon humanity until Jesus ascended into heaven because it, it had to free up the Holy Spirit so it could come back. And that, that's somewhat true. But there needed to be a glorification that only could come through the death and the shedding of blood, perfect blood for humanity. Before he could be glorified and before the spirit could be released upon the earth, upon those that sought that spirit, there needed to be a glorification that could only come through the death of the person that was sending it. Jesus says, it's expedient that I go, for if I go, do not go, the Spirit will not come. And I'm sort of ad-libbed a little bit on that verse. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, to which the Father shall send my name, shall lead you into all truth and teach you of all things. There needed to be a process for growth and you know, when I, I look at gardening, and I'm certainly not a gardener, I have no patience for gardening. I don't have patience to fish. I'm not a fisherman. If I had my way, if I, you wanted me to fish and I was hungry for fish, I'd either go to Coles, well, Coles is closed, pick and save, or give me a stick of dynamite and I'll throw it where I think there's a lot of bluegill. 
I don't have patience. I, I want something now, and that's the generation that I live in. I'm impatient with the microwave. Wow, three minutes to heat water? I have to tell you, I, I just bought something that I love. Uh, it's called a new wave oven, and I don't know if any of you have ever, ever had one. I love that. I threw in uh, a whole frozen chicken, frozen, in 30 minutes, crispy and tender and juicy. I want it now, and I don't want to have a sacrifice to make it. But if I look at the processes in my relationship with God, I may fall into the same trap. God, I want to live a glorified life without any death. I don't want to go through a period of suffering. I don't want to go through a period of denial. I don't want to have to accomplish things through patience and long-suffering. Those are all words that I don't find appealing. But Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice without blemish to God, Hebrews the ninth chapter says. And he became the fulfillment of the law. I look at a statement that I think I can relate to with a lot of people in, that I know, and maybe you'll relate to it too. We all want to be used of God. We all want to be recognized for a gift and, and have authority. And so when I look at James and John, I, I'm not as harsh with them as I, I, others might be, but they're, they're in the 35th verse of Mark 10. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Christ. Teacher, they said, you, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask. Does that sound familiar? You ever? God, I want you to do whatever I ask. And the Lord says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, they replied, oh, nothing major. Just let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. And here's the question. If you do want to be exalted in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to follow the, the principles of glorification. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, if you were reading that casually, you would say, well, yeah, I was baptized in water just like you were baptized in water. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the baptism of suffering. If you want to receive glory or be elevated in the kingdom of God, are you willing to go through the same processes that I am going to go through? I think they understood because they just blurted out, we can, they answered. And then Jesus, all-knowingly, said to them, you know what, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus is saying, if you, if you want to share in my glory, you're going to have to share in my suffering. If you want to be 
changed into my likeness, you're going to have to experience the tribulations that I have faced. Now, this is not a doom and gloom sort of a, a sermon at all. Because he also said, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm, I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you always. I'm never going to leave you alone. And he says, I'm going to give you power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. But there's another baptism that we need to consider, church. And when we're involved in that baptism, we've got to recognize that the, the goal or the purpose of the baptism is for the glorification of God. He said, by what death they would glorify God. Now, I, we come to church and we say, Lord, we just come to give you glory. What does that mean? Did you bring any with you? Do you have it? Can anybody just show me a little glory here this morning? What does that mean? How do I glorify God? How do, is, is glorification different than praise? Are we somehow misinterpreting glorification and referring it to worship? How do I give glory to God? Through the way that I live. Through what I go through, the experiences that I experience, my victories over flesh, death, hell, Satan, and the grave, how I do those things glorifies God. It's not something I can pull out of my wallet. It's not something that I can produce in a moment. I find it very interesting that not just did James and John experience the terrible things that they experienced, but all of the disciples. They all glorified God in their death. Now we know that a number of the how number of the disciples died. Two or three of them, because the Scripture clearly tells us how they died. Stephen, and we know that James was beheaded, and we know that through through tradition and things that have been passed down, that all of the disciples, saving for John, because John. Uh, was boiled in oil, but we leave him really on the Isle of Patmos. Some say that he died a martyr after that, but no strong tradition on, on John. But all the other ones, they gave their life for what they believed. They were willing to go all the way. I look at those Christians over in Syria, Iraq, Africa, those people that are beheaded because they are Christians and they refuse to convert to Islam. And we say, God, how could you allow that to happen? And we talked about that on Wednesday. We spent about an hour on Wednesday talking about those unanswered questions. But don't you think that the world sees the glory of God through the faithfulness and the obedience of people that go through suffering? Yes. It's believed that Andrew was hung on the cross like Christ was. And that as he hung on the cross, that he was teaching people about Christ as he was dying unto the very end. It's believed that Peter was 
hung upside down on a cross because he didn't feel worthy to hang in the same manner that the Lord was hung on a cross. And so I want to take a moment, and this is going to be, I didn't know whether to do this or not because I didn't want anybody falling asleep on me. We had a, I had a teacher in high school that had a solution for people that slept. And maybe you did too. It was an eraser. And he could have pitched a lot better than some of the pitchers on the Brewers, I think. He would, you would get hit in the face. Yeah. Or in the head if your head was on the desk. And you would just all of a sudden wake up. Well, I'm not going to throw anything at you. And I, I pray that that what I'm about to share with you has the same meaning to you as it did to me. Let me tell you how this, what I'm reading, came to pass. I felt inspired one time just to sit down, and I felt like I needed to write something, and God had placed something on my heart. And as the words, I just wrote this in about a half hour or an hour, at the most an hour and a half, it just flowed from me. And it was a letter from Peter to the church. I had thought, I'd had this thought in my mind, and I have a great vivid imagination. You know what, I can daydream with the best of them. I can flip out in a second and be someplace on the other side of the globe and be experiencing things in my mind because great imagination. But this was more like inspiration. I thought if Peter could speak from the grave today to you or to the church what would he say to you that would be a great message by the way and I wrote it down for the future if the dead could speak what would they say what would Judas say what would Judas tell you about his act of denial selling of selfishness selling Christ for 30 pieces of silver what would Achan tell you about how he compromised and he stole those things that were dedicated unto God? What would he tell you about the importance of that mistake? What about Korah? What would he tell you about standing up against the man of God and letting pride reign in your heart and thinking that you can do things that God has not appointed you to do? Oh, I think they'd have some very... Strong words of admonition for us. But what would Peter say? So here we go. He would title his letter, No Regrets. Dear Abundant Life Family, each of us ponders at different times in our lives the decisions that we've made. Have they been the right ones or would we have chosen another direction with the accumulated knowledge that comes with time and maturity? As I sit and share the snapshot of my life, I surely must say that for me, I have no regrets. This is not to say that the roads were smooth and the weather fine, not by any means, my friend. Quite to the contrary, life has showed me dimensions of pain and loss that I didn't even know existed. 
It showed me sides of humanity and politics that surely shook me at the very core of my being. I would like to share this short story with you in hopes that you might see through my eyes the events surrounding my life and the impact that one man had on its direction. Oh, the life of a fisherman. The smells of the sea, the sound of the waves and the sun on your face, the warm Galilean wind in your sails, Surely I had thought life could not be any better. Honestly, I must confess, I was truly satisfied with my life as a fisherman. Of course, those who live by the sea can be a rough lot, and surely, to put it mildly, and not to be too outspoken, their language may be as rough as the stormy seas. But friends, family, a nice boat, what else in life could a man want? Or so I thought. Life was so uncomplicated until I met him. At least it seemed that way. Our first contact was so unexpected. Oh yes, I'd heard rumors about this man from Galilee. But even the most exaggerated could not compare with the raw truth of reality as one day he stood there before me. You know, some have asked me to describe his appearance. How do you describe a sunrise? His eyes were like dark, deep dark pools of blue water, full of mystery and knowing. His very presence calmed me and stirred me at the same time. It was like I'd always known him. Yet in reality could never quite fathom the depths of his nature or of his character. His eyes looked beyond my ruddy and rough appearance and seemed to look deep within my heart. Now, this was actually quite frightening, for there were places and rooms inside my heart that I had locked for none to see. I have, never, I have not really ever quite understood what he saw in me. Why, of all those he could have chosen, he stopped at my boat. And he chose my simple life. When he spoke the words, follow me, I must confess, I never struggled to decide. My heart bid me follow, for even though I had known him for such a short time, I could not imagine a life without him in it. The things which had mattered so much to me a few days earlier paled in his presence. As the tides ebb and flow, controlled as though by some unseen hand, so it was so natural for me to leave behind the familiar and cast off into the unknown. If someone would have told me what lay ahead for my life, I no doubt would not have believed. Being with Christ was like viewing an ocean for the first time or staring out into space on a dark night. The more I learned as I watched him and walked with him, the more I realized I did not even really know him. Sicknesses fled. Diseases loosed their treacherous grips on tortured human bodies. Nature itself dwelt under his control. 
And storms became quiet, and rough waves on a troubled sea became calm at the very sound of his voice. Who is this man? What is this man? We disciples whispered. One minute you would have an idea of whom he may be or, or a direction in which he was leading you, and then everything would change. He saw things in others I could not see. He had an enormous amount of patience and compassion for the outcasts of society. He was not afraid to touch the leper or associate with the publicans or even the tax collectors for that matter. Sinners sought him out for his hope and mercy. The sick rejoiced when they felt his healing touch. Evil spirits fled at the mere mention of his name. How do you keep track of the countless things he did, the number of people he touched? Truly God smiled on his people through the face of this man called Jesus. For three and a half years we shared every moment, every meal, and every thought. We knew deep in our hearts that this was the moment that our fathers had prayed for, God's deliverance from Gentile oppression. A new day was born, and with it, hope for God's chosen people. But just as there is a calm before the storm, we were caught completely off guard at his crucifixion. As his disciples, we recognized his royalty. Surely, he'd establish his throne in Jerusalem, and we would reign with him in power and authority. We sought to make him our king in Caesar's place. <laughs> As I stand reflecting back on the past, how foolish and short-sighted we were. We saw only our space and time. As I reflect back, we all are all living for the moment. Jesus was looking into the past and preparing for the future of all mankind. He saw you, my friend. And like me, he has reached out to take your hand and pull you from the boats of humanism and, and deceit of politics and worldly philosophies that focus on man's corruptible creation and not on his creator. The last supper before his crucifixion should have been a special time. But we were all so swallowed up in our dreams for tomorrow that we could not hear his voice of warning in the present. Who's the greatest? Who would sit on the right or is left in the soon coming kingdom? How petty those things appear now as I look back. How foolish we must appear in the eyes of history as men look upon us from the standpoint of the future. But friend, let me warn you as you share this letter today that times have not changed so drastically as they were then. Each man still strives to find his place of authority and his place of recognition. The servant's towel lays on notice till Jesus picks it up and kneels to wash the feet of his disciples. You know, this present time is not so much different at all than that time. For a storm is building, and if you're not careful you will make the same mistake as we and not hear his warning for preparation. He speaks out, he that is chief among you, let him be the servant of all. 
That evening, Christ looked at me and warned me not to be so careless in my bold proclamations of faithfulness. For the dark clouds of the crucifixion were now upon us. I could not believe him when he said that before the sun rose in the morning that I would deny him three times. I was so certain that nothing could separate me from this man. How soon I learned it's not persecution that kills faith. It's ignorance. Ignorance of God's plan. Ignorance of God's direction. He had warned us over and over of what was about to happen, but all we could see were the material things that surrounded us. How evident that had been when we questioned his words concerning the destruction of the temple. That certainly did not fit the picture we had painted for our future. Jerusalem was going to be the throne of his authority, and we would be his rulers. Judas himself was caught up in his own aspirations for success and increased wealth. As he held that little bag of silver, the light came on and he realized that he had betrayed the innocent blood of more than just a man. He had betrayed the Son of God. He had betrayed the hope of Israel. I wonder what, would, what Judas would say today if this was his letter instead of mine. That night, like Judas, we all shared in that betrayal as we fled from Christ when he was arrested in the garden and allowed him to be taken into the hands of those who sought to kill him. As the Lord had warned, I betrayed him three times by my own mouth, denying that I'd ever known him. I felt lost, so confused, beyond hope. Without him, I reverted back to a life I'd left behind. As I once again hid in the robes of a fisherman and even later returned to my boat, why had we not listened to his voice? I guess it was so easy to get caught up in the current of religious opinions and theological philosophies promoted by our own deceitful human nature, convincing ourselves through our constant conversations that what we believe or want is what is really true. Eventually, we build them into man-made castles built on foundations of just human reasoning. It seemed that I learned more about this man called Jesus in the last month of his life than I had in the previous three and a half years. It was Christ that sought me out and restored my hope and faith. This fall from the platform of my own dreams caused me to reach out and grab the mission of heaven. The mission of a suffering Messiah who willingly sacrificed his life for a lost and a dying world. A so-called religious world left destitute by greedy men who dressed in robes of self-righteousness, preaching their own visions for man and omitting a loving Savior whose sole purpose was to rescue a lost and a dying human race from the fires of hell. I, as the rest of the disciples, did not fully comprehend the promise of the Holy Ghost mentioned by Christ over and over again throughout his ministry. 
As we waited in Jerusalem, as grace commanded, we, we slipped back for a moment into our desire for control by drawing straws for replacement for Judas. It was almost like Saul waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice before the battle with the Philistines. We ourselves felt that God had forgotten where we were for the moment and left an empty chair that needed to be filled. You know, some of men's gravest mistakes have taken place of times of waiting for God's promises. The day of Pentecost arrived with a flurry of activity as we gathered with the rest of the multitudes that morning to celebrate the feast of the Pentecost at the temple. I think we all felt an underlying curtain, current of excitement. Could this be the day that God has chosen? Was this the day for which we were waiting? What was the promise of the Father? What was his power, this power that he spoke of? What did Christ mean when he said he would come and dwell in us and through us continue to work his will in this world? Oh, there were many questions and even more theories of what was about to happen. It was the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. in the morning, when the windows of heaven burst open. And we heard the sound, as it were, of a rushing mighty wind descending upon us as we worshipped in the outer court of the temple. <laughs> Words cannot describe what happened to us in the midst of those gathered there in that place. The Spirit of God flowed like a raging torrent through this place and with its force and power removed our fear. It removed our uncertainty and it replaced those things with boldness and spiritual unction. The same Spirit that had dwelt in Christ himself. It was at that point I realized that Jesus said what Jesus had meant when he said, he would never leave me nor forsake me. I recognize the same presence as his own. Oh, he spoke in tongues we'd never learned. And cloven tongues as a fire sat upon us. It was later that we understood the reason for the cloven tongues of fire which sat upon all of us disciples. For it was clearly written in Psalm 104, He maketh the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. The temple that day was filled with the same presence and authority that had marched through its gates 53 days earlier as Jesus drove out those money changers. <laughs> However, today the presence came from within us. And it was this presence and anointing that drew the crowds to where we stood. They were wondering in amazement at what they saw, for truly no man could deny these unusual events that were taking place all around them. I must tell you, that this was not a hand-folded type of praise and worship that was present. It was a worship aligned with that of Miriam and, and those of Israel as they watched their enemies drowned in the Red Sea outside of Egypt in the days of Moses. For they realized that the 400 years of bondage had truly been broken and their previous existence as slaves to Pharaoh had passed away. They had awakened to the realization that old things were 
have passed and all things have become new. This experience was a divine revelation as to the words and purpose of the new covenant. As I spoke in tongues, I could clear, truly say all fear was gone. As I laughed and I cried at the same time, my, my tongue raced like a speeding chariot, jumping and bouncing as I let loose of the reins of human control. I determined to let God guide this experience and totally enjoy this God-given gift of regeneration. In the meantime, the crowds had gathered so tightly around us and so many stood wondering as to what all these things meant that I stood up from a, on a, upon a piece of furniture and began to speak. I felt a fire inside my breast that exploded through my mouth in the form of words. A passion had been born that morning inside all of our hearts. I believe it to be the same passion that was exhibited by Christ. I wanted the whole world to know what I was experiencing and who Christ was and what he meant to me. And even though the priest stood scowling at the back of the crowd, Jesus filled my mouth with words that flowed as easily as the tongues we had spoken earlier. I could see a strain in the crowds as I spoke. Just as the wind had swept through this place earlier, the Holy Spirit itself was moving in the hearts of those who now listened. There were tears of remorse everywhere as I shared the events of the crucifixion. No doubt each person saw their own role in this travesty of justice and remorse was springing up in every open heart. Many began to realize they had killed the one for which they and their fathers had waited. Many were sobbing as they held their faces in their hands. Many called out in despair, asking what they could do to be saved from the judgment of God for this terrible act they had committed. My heart was overwhelmed with the honesty and desperation in their eyes as they sought to be forgiven. It was all I could do to choke back my own tears as I saw my own weaknesses and failures in light of theirs. For like them, I denied him in front of his accusers. This has always helped me when I have spoke to others about their sin. It has allowed me to emphasize with their condition. I remember, I too have drunk from the fountain of God's mercy and grace. I told them in no uncertain terms that Christ had commanded us to preach. Jesus had been very emphatic about the message of salvation. God was starting his church in the very place where those wicked priests had conspired and sought to kill him. He had cleansed the temple in preparation for this day. All these things began to make sense as we saw the pieces of the puzzle fall into place. The message of salvation was simple and direct and remains so to this day. There could be no misunderstanding, no room for confusion, for salvation would be the foundation upon which he would establish his church. As the people present called out, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? The answer came forth clear and strong without any dispute. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now those that gladly received this word and 
received it, were baptized. And as Luke recorded in his writing of this account, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. What a joyous walk it was down to the Jordan. How long the lines were as people waited for their turn to identify with the cross of Christ. There was no debating that day as to what God expected. For truly at this point, the church was in its purest form. In time, some tried to pervert the message that Christ commissioned us to preach. Many have no doubt convinced themselves, even in your day, as they did in our own, that it does not matter if a person is buried in the waters of baptism, nor whether they are filled with Christ's spirit or not. I guess history repeats itself, and the human condition has really not changed through time. Truly the condition of the heart and the surrender of one's will to God's commission pays off in the end. So, dear Abundant Life Church, please do not become weary in well-doing, for surely you shall reap if you faint not. Being a Christian has not always been an easy way to live, for the enemies of Christ have fought to keep our voice quiet. Many gave their lives in martyrdom for this cause. However, God's word is not returned void, and the revival fires have spread throughout the known world. Taking into consideration all the events of my life, I have no regrets and feel honored that Jesus visited my boat that day. It has been an honor to live and to die for the one who called me. One day soon, I hope to dance together with you in heaven, preach the word, and I will look for you in the new Jerusalem, in Christ, Peter. I know that was long, but there was something that I wanted to convey through this. I wanted you to feel the spirit of not just one man, the spirit of all those that have gone before us. Every one of us has been called from the boat. Every one of us thought that we had an idea of what Christianity was all about. And we had this view in our minds of what, what God was like. But the more that we, we dwelt in his word and amidst the spirit, the more we began to realize that trying to understand God was trying to, like trying to count the stars. It was virtually impossible. Have you ever denied Christ? Oh, I'm sure you have. You're no different than Peter or James or John or Matthew. But the thing is, we can be like Peter and once again stand up and do those things which we should do. Now someone has said inside their mind, I've never denied Christ. Oh yes, you have. When Christ told you to do something and to identify yourself as to who you were and to bear his name boldly before people in the situation that you were brought to, and you did not do what he'd asked, you denied him. So all of us stand together, united in our human frailty, in our weakness. That's why it is so important that we connect with the same spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost, that unctionized those disciples and gave them power to live above the frailty of their flesh. 
to live a life that was powerful and directed and unfaltering, even unto the crosses and the beheadings and the swords that they faced. It is essential for you and for me to be baptized in fire. But before the fire falls, there's always going to be the baptism of suffering. Do I have support for that? Think it not strange. The fiery trial of your faith is though some strange thing has happened unto you. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying, don't think it's strange when you suffer for the things of God. But don't suffer as someone that is sinful, but suffer for the right. I think the thing that makes the church a vibrant, living organism is the spirit of God freely moving through it. You take away the spirit and we become a shell going through the motions. I sometimes marvel. I, 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 like, I like to watch some action races and car accidents, you know, on television, you know, the car rolls over. Have you ever noticed that if you look really carefully and the car flips and the hood flies off that there's no engine in it? I said, I stopped the thing. That's really cool that it was speeding down the road and it flipped over and there wasn't an engine in it. How did it do that? It was, it was a facade. It was a fake. We can look like the church but without the engine or the energy of Christ, we are just a useless piece of metal. Do I have all the answers? I guess not, because I, I suffer with the same frailties that you suffer. But I can go back and I can look at history and I can look at, at things in the past and I can see how revival came. A revival always came through struggle, dedication. You know, as a pastor, when you ever notice, and my brother has mentioned it another number of times, every time we fast, it seems like the phone rings off the hook, all the problems come out, and it's just one thing after another. I want to tell you that the problems that we face only make us stronger. The, the weak, fleshly weaknesses. But if we're faithful to the end, we will see a victory. Can I share just a personal testimony? About, oh, six years ago, I was working um, at Angel's Grace Hospice. I loved my job, but I had a person that I worked with that made my life miserable. I hated going to work because this person and I, she's just downright mean. And just not to me, but to other people. And I remember sometimes going into work and my office was next to hers. And if she was gone for the day, I would just say, woohoo, I can have no pressure, no criticism, no, none of this anxiety on me. Well, one day I prayed. I said, God, I cannot continue to live like this. I love my job, but I hate the person. Yes, that's what I said. That 
manages me. So either she goes, Lord, I pray, or I leave. And that lady made sure that I was driven from there. She made life so difficult for me that I, I finally told her I'm, I have to go. And I remember how I had mixed emotions when I left. I was leaving a place where I felt I had an effective and powerful ministry. But yet I was leaving the, the struggle of this lady. And I remember dancing out to my car. I lost half my income because I went back to the hospital. That was half my income at Angel's Grace. But I left happy knowing that this was God's decision. And the pressure was least. But you know, if you're faithful, everything works out in the end. Guess where I'm working right now? And actually, they asked me if I'd be interested in the job back in, with Angel's Grace and Home Care. Now, I say that I'm, I'm doing it now just because they lost their chaplain, and I, I, I was willing to, I was asked to help. Now, my point in this conversation is, if you're faithful in the end, God will bring you back to where you once were, and he'll bring completeness. And it's been that way in a lot of things in our lives. You thought you lost it. You thought you'd never receive it back again. But if you were faithful and you did what God told you to do, you would gain what you thought you lost. So let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.